Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. More information about First Baptist Church can be found at www.fbcalamo.com. As our kids head back to Kids Church, I'm going to invite you to take your Bible and go with me to Isaiah chapter 9 as we begin our Advent series. Uh, and Advent simply means, uh, means arrival. And so, of course, at this time of year, we celebrate the arrival of Christ. And each, each Sunday throughout this season, between now and Christmas Eve, uh, we will, during this time, light one of our Advent candles. And since I'm preaching through the, the Advent wreath, uh, I've asked Craig and, uh, it was going to be supposed to be Craig and Ashley, but Ashley is out with, with Adeline, so Craig's going to come and, and light our hope candle this morning. And as he does that, I'm going to invite you to stand and read along with me in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 through 7. Let's read the word of the Lord together. It says, the people... The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in a land of darkness. You have enlarged the nation and increased its joy. The people have rejoiced before you as they rejoice at harvest time and as they rejoice when dividing spoils. For you have shattered their oppressive yoke and the rod on their shoulders, the staff of their oppressor, just as you did on the day of Midian. For every trampling boot of battle and the bloodied garments of war will be burned as fuel for the fire. For a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and sit over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for this morning. We thank you for the chance to gather together and to open up your word together. This morning, will you show us what it means to place our hope in Christ Jesus. As we celebrate this great time of year where we remember Christ's first coming, open our eyes to the hope that's available to us through this Christmas season. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. You can have a seat. As I shared with our small group this morning, I'm so excited because it's finally socially acceptable for me to declare out loud my love of Christmas. Not that that's ever really stopped me, um, but it's finally acceptable to have the sanctuary decorated a little bit and to start wearing. Uh, I, I, I told our small group, I said, as much as I may want to, I, I don't think Michelle will let me preach in my ugly Christmas sweater. Um, <laughs> But just know that I thought about it, okay? It, it, the thought crossed my mind. But uh, I, just, I love this time of year. Uh, by far, this is, my, this is my favorite season. And the best part is where we live, we get all the Christmas season without the blistery cold weather. And so I'm, I'm so excited. I, just, I love it. Um, now, as we come to Isaiah chapter 9, this is, this is a, a passage that you will hear this time of year really every year. 
In fact, I don't think I've ever done a, any kind of a Christmas series and not come to Isaiah chapter 9 because this is such a clear proclamation of this Messiah who's coming, written about 700 years before Christ was actually born, and written to tell the children of Israel, listen, right now things are not good, but there is coming a day when, when things will get better. As we talked about last week, so I'm not going to rehash everything that, that we said last week, but as we were in Isaiah, or in Isaiah chapter 12 for Thanksgiving, we looked briefly at some passages in the first 11 chapters and, and said, overall, the book of Isaiah is not real happy. Uh, there are some really bad things that are happening here. So some bad things that are happening to the people of God as a consequence of their disobedience to the commands that God has given to them. Uh, and so this morning, as, as we lit the hope candle, as we read this passage, uh, we're reminded that all too often, even in our world today, hope is lacking. One of the worst things that people can lose is to lose hope. We, we've seen, maybe you've seen some, some footage out of uh, Texas or Florida or Puerto Rico during the hurricanes where, where people lost everything they had, and yet they held on to Hope, because when we lose hope, we have nothing to look forward to. And yet, in the middle of awful circumstances, you often heard stories of hope shining through. Uh, I remember one uh, YouTube video, maybe you saw this as well, a worship leader from a church went back to his home that, that had flooded, and uh, everything was ruined, and he sat down at the piano and started playing hymns. Um, what an incredible picture of, of hope in the midst of chaos. For God's people, in, in the book of Isaiah then, this passage, chapter 9, comes as a glimmer of hope in the middle of awful circumstances. In fact, look with me, if you still have your Bible open, look with me at the, at the beginning of chapter 8. Uh, chapter 8 begins, Then the Lord said to me, Take a large piece of parchment and write on it with an ordinary pen. Maher Shalal Hashbaz. I have appointed trustworthy witnesses, the priest Uriah and Zechariah, the son of Jeberechiah. I, I butchered that name, I'm sorry. Um, so then verse 3, he says, basically that his wife conceives a son, this is Isaiah, he said his wife conceives a son, and he names the son uh, Maher Shalal Hashbaz. Now, two things. First of all, uh, if we got a couple of couples that are expecting, I would just commend you to consider this as a child's name. Just, just consider it, all right? Put, put it on the list of possible baby names. Maher Shalal Hashbaz. Until you learn what it means. And, and that name means speeding to the plunder or hurrying to the spoil. See, if you're familiar at all with, with the Old Testament, you'll know that oftentimes children were given names that, that really meant something. And in this case, uh, Isaiah's son, his name, is going to have a meaning to the children of Israel. And that is that um, you are speeding to the plunder. Or rather, the Babylonian, the Assyrian Empire, is speeding to the plunder. In other words, you're about to be taken over by this unstoppable force that is the Assyrian Empire and they're going to lay your nation waste. In fact, 
Last week we looked at that in Isaiah chapter 6, right after uh, Isaiah sees the Lord seated in the temple in, in this great picture of God, and, and he jumps up and down and says, hey, send me, God, I want to go, I want to serve you. And God's response is, awesome, I'm going to send you, but nobody's going to listen to you. Even after their homes lie in ruins, they're still not going to listen to you. And this is Isaiah's message, and then in the middle of this comes chapter 9, where he says, but unto us a child is born. This is the hope that God's people had in the middle of devastation, in the middle of trials. And so this reminds me of a truth that we looked at last year that I want to revisit very briefly. This quote from John Piper. And he said this. He said, Christmas is an indictment before it becomes a delight. It will not have its intended effect until we feel desperately the need for a Savior. See, the, the children of Israel, in this case the children of Judah, understood their need for a Savior because their life was falling apart before their very eyes. Because of their rebellion, because of their disobedience, they were suffering consequences. And they understood desperately their need for a Redeemer, their need for a Savior. And so my question this morning for us is, do we understand desperately our need for a Savior? See, the, the first thing I want us to, to see this morning is that Christ brings hope in desperation. As we've already said, the, the children of people of Judah were living in desperation. They had turned away from the Lord, and they were experiencing the consequences of their actions, the consequences of that turning away. That's why in verse 2, it, Isaiah writes and tells the people, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. See, as we've talked about before, particularly as we're walking through 1 John, darkness and light are very important pictures in, in, in Scripture. And he says the people walking in darkness, they've been overrun by a foreign enemy. The, the things that God told them were going to happen if they turned away from God have happened. And, and as maybe we tend to do when, when we experience the consequences of their actions, they cried out, why us? Why would such a thing happen to us? Why is God picking on us? They, they understood walking in darkness. And it's in the middle of that darkness that he says this light is going to dawn and look at verse 3. It says, You've enlarged the nation and increased its joy. The people have rejoiced before you as they rejoiced at harvest time and as they rejoice when dividing spoils. Um, I grew up in a, in a farming family. And in West Texas, uh, my, my dad was a cotton farmer. My granddad was a cotton farmer. So this time of year is harvest time uh, for cotton. So if you drive, if you drive east of here, in fact, even if you get over into the Hobbs and Clovis area, you're going to see some cotton fields, and, and this is the time of year where they'll, where they'll go through stripping cotton. And so this was always an exciting time um, because I got to go run a module builder, which if you've ever seen, there's, there's huge, massive uh, machines that are run by two levers. And all it does, the, the, the cotton stripper dumps cotton in, and then you move these two levers to move this... Uh, uh, arm back and forth and up and down to pack the cotton in. And that was the best job ever as a teenager, 
right? Because it, it wasn't real. Uh, it, it wasn't real stressful. I mean, I had two levers. I moved one, moved it up, back, up and back, and one moved it up and down. Which means I was able to take my. Now I'm going to age myself here. My my cassette tapes with my little Sony Walkman, um, and and would would listen for hours in in the in the module builder. To, to music, and man, it was awesome, and I got paid to do it. I, got, I literally got paid to do this. I mean, it's like, it like getting paid to run a video game. It was the coolest thing in the world. But this is an exciting time, because this is when the cotton farmers finally see all their hard work pay off. And most years, this is, it's really exciting, because they, they actually make a little bit of money. And, and you see these big white, look like a huge loaves of bread out in the middle of the field that are the cotton modules. And man, it was just, it was so much fun. And Isaiah is telling the people, listen, even in the midst of this darkness, there's going to be light, and you're going to rejoice as you do at harvest time. There's going to be rejoicing. Now, now your outside circumstances might not have changed a whole lot, but there's going to be a hope of a deliverer that's coming. And this is not how things will be forever. The Gospel of John, as John is addressing his readers and kind of setting up for what he's going to talk, how he's going to describe Jesus' life and ministry and death and resurrection, he says this, John 1, 4, and 5, he says, In Christ was life, and that life was the light of men. And then verse 5, he says, That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. Some translations will say the darkness did not understand it. Never take for granted the light and the hope that you have as a follower of Christ. Perhaps you've found yourself in a dark room at some point and you've had the benefit of either just a match or in today's world, the benefit of a cell phone with a flashlight on it. Um, in case you've never been in a church in the dark, I, I will argue there's no scarier place on the face of the planet than a dark, empty church. Um, and so, you know, I, I, just, I find myself in here at times um, uh, in, in the dark, and uh, uh, who cares? I, I'll, I'll just tell you. I mean, I, I sprint okay, as fast as I can, safely, without, you know, dislocating a knee on a pew or something like that. Um, but, but it's amazing what, what this flashlight will do in this room when it's dark. Because a little bit of light makes a whole lot of difference in the dark. And your life is the exact same. If you're a follower of Christ, never underestimate the hope and the light that you can offer to a world that is dark. And a world that is dying and going to hell without the hope of Christ. See, I don't think we understand what hope means until we reach that point of desperation. Have you ever experienced being so desperate for Christ that the slightest bit of hope, the slightest bit of light made all the difference in your life? In the middle of our desperation, Christ brings hope. And we'll talk more about this in just a second.
Secondly, I want us to understand that Christ gives hope as a defender. Look at verses 4 and 5. Now, this is kind of weird. This is, uh, this is a battle language that he uses here. It's a, it's a bloody battle scene. And he says this, verse 4, For you have shattered their oppressive yoke, the rod on their shoulders, the staff of their oppressor, just as you did on the day of Midian. For every trampling boot of battle and the bloodied garments of war will be burned as fuel for the fire. Now listen, he's just talked about hope. And then he shifts a little bit here and he talks about um, the way that Israel's enemies will be overturned. In fact, he says that, um, that he's going to shatter their oppressive yoke. He's going to shatter the rod on their shoulders. The staff of their oppressor, just as you did on the day of Midian. Now, now the... That reference to Midian actually goes back to Judges chapter 6 and 7. It's the story of Gideon. If you remember the story of Gideon, Gideon's getting ready to, to fight this army of thousands. And so he builds up a big army, several thousand people, and God says, uh, no, you, you got too many people. Because right now, if you went and you defeated this enemy with, if you defeated the Midianites with this army, um, the, the people are going to think they did it. And I don't, I don't want you thinking this is all you. I want you to understand this is, this is me, Almighty God, working in you. So he whittles it down, gets, gets just a couple of thousand soldiers around him and says, hey, I, th- I, think, this is, I think this is good. Let, let's go to, to the battle. And God says, no, not, not quite yet. There's still too many of you. So eventually God takes it down to 300 men against an army of thousands. He says, all right, that's your army. Now go. Now from a human standpoint, that that looks crazy, right? Like we're going into battle with 300 people against tens of thousands. Are are you insane? And God says, but but you don't understand. I'm fighting for you. And at the end of the day, it will be me that wins this battle, not you. And the people will marvel and say, look at what the Lord has done here. This is the reference he's making there, as on the day of Midian. In other words, I'm going to, I'm going to fight for you. I'm going to overturn your enemies in a way that uh, you have no other explanation except to say, look at what the Lord has done. Now, now let's talk here real quick. Because I, I think sometimes as the people of God, we, we feel like we have to vindicate ourselves anytime we've been wronged. Well, I've got to retaliate. I've got to, I've got to defend myself. Don't, 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 you, don't you realize this isn't fair? No, no. In fact, you're, well, you're exactly right. It's not fair. Um, but not in the way you think. You see, we, you and I, deserve far worse than anything we've ever experienced in this life. You see, your annoying neighbor or your vindictive boss or your Facebook nemesis is not your greatest enemy. Christ has already conquered the greatest enemy we've ever had, and that's sin and death. So you deserve far worse than anything you've ever experienced here. And so, the next time you experience something that's, that seems oppressive or that's unfair, r- remind yourself of the gospel. Remind yourself that you were, in fact, once under the wrath of a holy, righteous judge and that he sent his only son to pay the penalty of death that you rightly deserved. And then remind yourself that not only 
Did he transfer you from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son, but he chose to bless you in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Those, that's from Ephesians and Colossians. He transferred us from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son. Transferred us from death to life. If that wasn't enough, he blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. We have received far better than we could ever possibly deserve. And now, Christ reigns as our conquering king. So, so if we see verse, verses 4 and 5 here, this is, this is the scene of an enemy being utterly wiped out by the conquering king. Look at verse 5. For every trampling boot of battle and the bloodied garments of war will be burned as fuel for the fire. But, but, but here's the thing. Don't, don't look at that and think, well, my neighbor one day is going to be burned as fuel for the fire. I can't wait for that. No, no. No, that's not your enemy. Our enemy here is sin and death. And the enemy, Satan, who wants to steal and kill and destroy you. And this promise is that Christ has taken care of that once for all. Ephesians 1, chapter 22 and 23. And he, in this case, that's God the Father, subjected, subjected everything under his, now that's talking about Christ's feet, and anointed him, Christ, as head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. So when he says he subjected things, uh, subjected everything under his feet, again, that's, that's the picture of a general standing on his enemy's head at the end of the war. He's... he's embarrassed his enemy, completely defeated him, and now he stands as the conquering king. And Paul says here that Christ has done that. He subjected everything under his feet and appointed him as head over everything for the church. So, so, so listen, what, what this means for us as the, the body of Christ, um, big, big C, big church, universal church, all believers everywhere. That means Christ is the head and, and despite the fights that we have in denominations or over the authority of the Bible or any of that kind of stuff, Christ is head over his body. Now let's bring it down and let's talk little c, little church, local church, us. Christ is head here. So our task then, my task as the pastor, as the under-shepherd, is... Is not to tell you how things ought to be. It's to lead us to follow Christ as much as possible. To obey his word. And when we're attacked, and, and I think we're seeing more and more in our nation these days where, where the people of God are being attacked for one thing or another. When we're attacked, we let him fight for us. And if one day we reach the point where it's illegal for us to gather together, do you know what we do? We keep gathering together as the body of Christ. Just like millions of believers do around the world today. Believing alongside Paul that to live is Christ, to die is gain. So listen, if we experience persecution, the Bible says the persecution makes us more like Christ. Praise his name. And if we suffer death, if we pay the ultimate price for our for, for our faith in Christ, 
Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Praise His name. See, the gospel will free you from having to always defend yourself on every point. Because at the end of the day, my job is not to please you or to please anybody else. My, my job is to please Christ Jesus. And your job is the same. Praise His name. Please Him. And here's the ultimate promise. The, the one that we hang our hats on this time of year. Christ fulfills hope as deliverer. Look at verses 6 and 7. For a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast, and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. There's so much in here that we could unpack, and, and I wish we had more time to do so, but I don't want to keep you here until 2 o'clock this afternoon. Even though the Cowboys aren't playing today, right? So there's no reason that you need to be out of here early. Um, but he gives us promise, this promised hope of a deliverer. The government will be on his shoulders. You know, I've, I've learned something um, in the past 20 years or so. so. So over the past 20 years, our government here in, in the United States, we've seen about as uh, far on different ends of the political spectrum as you can possibly get on presidents and Congress. And, and have, you, have you noticed yet that, that our hope is not going to come from Washington, D.C.? And so, so, <laughs> so, so listen... If, if, if you're waiting like for that, for the perfect president to arise who's going to set everything straight, can I just tell you something? He's not coming. She's not coming. He's not coming. They weren't meant to. Our hope is in a savior, not in a president. Our hope is in a messiah, not a senator or a representative. Our hope is in our Redeemer, not in Santa Fe. Because this kingdom, this kingdom that's coming, this kingdom that we are a part of as followers of Christ, it will be vast and its prosperity will never end. And so, so listen, people of God, let, let, me, let me say this clearly. When push comes to shove, my allegiance is to this flag before it's to this one. My allegiance is to the kingdom of God before it's to the United States. It's to Christ before it's to any president. And, and I know we have servicemen and women here, so, so don't, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not, I'm not saying that we shouldn't be patriotic. I'm not saying that we shouldn't um, uh, seek to serve and, and honor our nation as far as we can. But, but when those competing values come to a head, I'm following the kingdom that's everlasting, not a temporary kingdom of this earth. A couple of promises here. So in... Um, Verse 6, for to us a child, for a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince 
of peace. This looks back several hundred years from, from the time uh, Isaiah's writing this to several hundred years to uh, when this promise was given to David in Psalm 89.4. The Lord tells David, I will establish your offspring forever and build up your throne for all generations. And then fast forward 700 years from the time Isaiah wrote these words. In Luke chapter 1, the angel comes and speaks to Mary and says, Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. This is the hope we have this Christmas. And so uh, in just a second, we're going to watch a, a video to kind of wrap this up. But, but here's my question for you. Who do you know that needs this hope? You know, I'm a firm believer that, that Friday morning uh, after or maybe even on Thursday night after folks had, had given thanks uh, for the blessings that they had as they lined up to go try to accumulate more blessings for themselves and fought over 60 inch TVs, uh, people were searching for hope. Well, that's the hope of a good deal. The hope of something that's going to fix the hole in their lives, be that a new phone a new TV, new pots and pans, whatever it was that, that drove people to stores Thursday night and Friday. People were looking for hope. And, and I hope you understand this. I hope I understand this. That all those wells will come up empty. 60-inch TV is going to hit a point where it, it doesn't feel new anymore or it's not big enough you're going to get a new phone and realize it's just like your old phone and the same annoying people keep coming mean, the same family members keep calling you on it they can still find you on that new phone think about who needs to hear the true hope this christmas let's watch this video and then we'll close We live in times where darkness approaches from all sides. God's creation, his precious children, are under constant threat of isolation, despair, and the lack of purpose. But Jesus called his church the light of the world, a city on a hill, alive with the fire and power of the Holy Spirit. Together, we can fight the darkness. Together, we can beat back the shadows. And it happens through the simple act of invitation. An invitation can rescue the isolated.
invitation of hope. It's just a reminder that our hope is not in a trinket, it's not in a tree, it's not in lights, it's not in ugly Christmas sweaters, it's, it's not in the, the magical feeling of the season. Our hope is in a person, and that person is Christ Jesus, the hope that our world so desperately needs. Peter, as he's beginning his first letter, he writes this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept for you. So we move into this time that, that we call invitation, where we extend the call for you to respond. My, my question is simply this, who do you know who needs to hear the, about Jesus, the hope of the world this Christmas season? As Sarah and Siona come, I want us to take a few moments and just pray. Ask God to reveal to, to you one person, one person who needs to hear the hope of Christ this season. And then take that a step further, not just to, to add them on your, to, for Christ to put them on your heart, but pray for opportunities to share with them the hope of the world, Jesus Christ, this Christmas season. I'm going to ask Siona to play just for a few moments. Let's, let's pray as the people of God, and then I'll come and, and, and pray for us here in just a moment. Father, we thank you for the hope that's available to us in Christ Jesus. We thank you so much for you taking the initiative while we were still sinners, while we were still dead in sins, separated from you, that you, you took the first step in sending Christ to be our Savior, to forgive our sins, to transfer us from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of your beloved Son. And so this Christmas season, amid all the, uh, the craziness that comes with this time, amid all the food and all the gifts and all the, all the uh, celebrations that happen around town, will you cause us to stop, to pause, and to consider the hope that we have? I pray for each of us in, in the room today that you would bring to mind someone that does not have this hope. I 
pray you'd be working in their lives to, to soften their hearts and, and causing them to ask questions about what, what this Christmas season really means. And then I pray for opportunities for the people of First Baptist Church to encounter them and to be able to share this hope that we have in Christ Jesus. That regardless of what our, what our bank accounts say, regardless of the value of 401ks or the value of cars or, or toys that we may have, we, we have an everlasting hope in Christ Jesus. And we give that away freely this Christmas season. Ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. We are located at 1100 Michigan Avenue in Alamogordo, New Mexico. We meet on Sundays for small groups at 9 a.m. and worship at 1030. If you have more questions, please email office at fbcalamo.com or call 575-437-5510. Thank you for listening and may God bless you this week.